It is episode 124 of Our Brooklyn Bites. I am Stephanie. I am Leon. And we have a somewhat special episode. Again? Uh, well, every week's a special episode right now. <laughs> but, what are you trying to say? Are you saying that we did something well, to make it special? We happen to both play the same game this week. <laughs> we both happen to. Just coincidentally. Uh-huh. Of our massive libraries. So I picked... Tales of the Borderlands, right? To play, and I decided since you're playing it, I should play it too. Since, since I also have that game, you also have it, and we're both kind of fans of the Borderlands universe and series and all that stuff. So, Tales from the Borderlands, Tales from the Borderlands, yeah. Mm-hmm. But we've also played the previous Borderlands games, at least one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I figure we'll talk about this game before we get too deep into it. I guess we'll leave a disclaimer out there. That if you haven't played this game and you might want to, I would say there might be some spoilery stuff we might mention. Yeah, we're going to try to stay neutral on specific details about things. Mm -hmm. Because this is not a typical Borderlands game. This is not an FPS shootery type of game. This is an adventure game, which has a very strong story narrative to it. Yeah. So the core of that gameplay is the story that unfolds, and we don't want to give everything away. How do you talk about a game without talking about the story? So there might be some yeah, so this elements will, we mention. I think this will be more of a discussion about our impressions playing this type of game, and also how we felt about this game in particular, and some of the choices that are made. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if you stayed along with us, then thanks for sticking along and tuning in. Just a background about this game... It was made in 2014, mm-hmm. and it's from Telltale Games, mm-hmm. but it's under license from Gearbox. So Gearbox was the company who made the Borderlands series. Right. Telltale is the company that published this game, and they're responsible for several games in this style. Mm-hmm. How would you describe this style of game? It's choose-your-own-adventure kind <laughs> of story? In a sense, yeah. I'd say that's more or less the case. You're basically watching, you know, kind of like a movie or a TV show, episodic TV show. Mm-hmm. This was kind of my introduction to the Telltale series. It's interactive TV show where you watch a movie or a show, yeah. and at certain points, you'll be given a choice to select dialogue, which will change the direction of the mm-hmm. characters and, and the way the episode kind of plays itself out. Right. There'll also be opportunities to do some like quick time events where you'll have to either move in a certain direction or do like a quick button press, you know, like you'll see a button flash on the screen. Yeah, make a decision quickly. It might be a quick reflex action, that kind of thing. But yeah, like you said, the majority of the game experience is just watching the story unfold and making those decisions about which way things should go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you think, for me anyway, like what's one of the things that I typically, did not, I guess, dislike about games, but I always skip over the like the little dialogue and the cutscenes and stuff. Right. And you can't do that here. You can't do that here because this is the game. The game is a big cutscene. Mm-hmm. I went into this thinking, oh, I'm going to really not like this game, but I gave it a chance. So I guess we can start off at the beginning somewhere, or is there anything else you want to mention about... Well, before I started the game, it asks if you want to create a Telltale account. I think it did for me, too. Yeah, and figured since I have some of their other games, too, I might as well go ahead and do that. Because it says it'll track your your decisions throughout the game, and it'll 
present them to you in a summary form. It'll tell you. Oh, on their website? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. If you log into your account on their site, it'll show you all the decisions you made in the game. Oh, cool. And it'll tell you how it compared to other players, too. Oh. So it'll tell you that 75% of other players also chose this path. Oh, you'll have to talk about that when you get to it. Okay. <laughs> I didn't do that option, no. Really? You skipped that part? Well, I don't have any other games, so mm-hmm. I figured... It seemed like um, a ploy for me to sign up for an account for them. You don't trust Telltale Games? I don't trust any of these companies. Because <laughs> I feel like there's some kind of, you know, hidden mm-hmm. motive. Maybe they'll make a game about what all their players did it's, someday. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, right. <laughs> I don't want them to know my decision-making uh-huh. process. All right. Well, I thought it would be fun to see that stuff. So I, I captured my statistics. Okay. So basically this game is structured in an episodic format. And that is one of the things about the Telltale games. Initially, it was just episode one that came out when this game first was released. Mm-hmm. The first episode is called Zero Sum. Zero Sum, right. Mm-hmm. So I played the previous three Borderlands games mm-hmm. going into this. Right. But I feel like for someone who's never played a Borderlands game, there's so many references and characters that show up from other games and stuff. Like, to me, it would feel like a little confusing to just jump into this because you're not really explained a whole lot of this world you're in or, like, the planets and stuff like that. You only played one of the three games. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering, like, what your take on it. Like, did you find yourself a little confused playing this? I think I had enough of the Borderlands background to know what things were. Mm -hmm. I think it helped in some situations, but I don't know if it was, like, essential. Okay. Because it's still a storytelling format, and I think they fill you in on enough things to still enjoy it, even if you don't know exactly everything. Yeah. I only played Borderlands 1. You played Borderlands 1. You probably played that last, I think, right? I did, yeah. I played them out of order. You so. played the Borderlands 2 first, and then the pre-sequel, which is them backwards. <laughs> chronologically is situated before Borderlands 2, and then, and then finally Borderlands 1. Yeah. So I didn't know what happened in the other games as far as the story goes, mm-hmm. and some of that stuff is referenced in this game. I didn't necessarily find that that hindered my enjoyment of this okay. game too much. I don't, yeah. I don't really think so. Yeah, so we should mention that the, the timeline this game takes place in is after part two of Borderlands. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so they will re- reference a lot of those previous three games. Right. I suppose if you really don't want to know anything about Borderlands at all before you play any of those games, you probably don't want to play this game before you've played the that's actual true, games. That's true, it might give away... Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Not a whole lot, though. Right. Because uh, a lot of the characters are new. Well, at least the main characters are new characters that aren't in the other games. Mm -hmm. But there are appearances from characters from the game, too. Right. So you're given control of a character who I think is original for this game? He is, yeah. You play as this character named Reese, who is a business guy of some kind. He works for Hyperion Corporation, which is the company that's involved with developing this frontier planet called Pandora. Mm Mm-hmm. Even in the opening scene, I wasn't paying complete attention to what was happening on the screen while I was listening to the dialogue. So I missed my first prompt. <laughs> the, oh, you did? Like the very first decision that you're asked to make. I'm glad you brought that up because I never missed a prompt, but I was always wondering, like, well, what happens if you do? Uh-huh. Can you, is there a way to die in this game or... So a lot of the reactions are mapped to the controller buttons. Mm -hmm. You'll have square for one reaction and then circle button for something else. And then usually the top button, the triangle button, it just says dot, dot, dot. And 
I think the early on the game does tell you not reacting is a valid response. Oh, okay. So it'll tell you like if you miss something, then maybe something else will happen for you not choosing to speak or mm-hmm. react at that moment. So I think that's still built into the game system. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it should be noted that not every decision you you make with your dialogue choices will affect the way the game plays out. Sometimes, regardless of what choice you make, and this is similar to like some RPGs too. Regardless of the decision you make, whatever you choose to say, the story's still going to continue the same way. It'll just be worded differently. But like, you know, say it was A, B, C, or D, and you chose D, it it was always going to pick B no matter what. Like, that was going to be the the right answer, but it's just the way of getting to that point, which will change. Mm -hmm. Then there's certain decisions where when you choose something, you'll see a little prompt in the corner that'll say so-and-so character will remember this, you know? And that's how you know, like, whatever choice you made is changing the fork of the game, mm-hmm. the storyline. Yeah. And there were a few moments where I wondered, well, what if I had done things differently? Or how much did my action or reaction affect what was about to happen? Yeah. And there are times where you commit to a certain change and it matters. Mm-hmm. But there are other times where it seems like it's going to flow no matter what. Yeah. Because that's the way the storyteller wants things to go. Mm-hmm. So you have Reese, mm-hmm. and he's working on Helios. Helios, which is a station that is above Pandora, mm-hmm. that Hyperion operates. So he's looking to get promoted. Mm-hmm. Basically, this is how it starts off. He's looking for a promotion. His boss, Vasquez, doesn't really like him. <laughs> And right. instead of getting a promotion, he gets a demotion, mm-hmm. and he gets demoted to janitor. That's right. Vasquez is identified as his nemesis yeah. in this game. Yeah. <laughs> Which, uh, actually, it was unexpected that it was his boss, because something else happened to put him in that position. And the plot then kicks off after your meeting with Vasquez to think of a way to get back at him mm-hmm. in some way. Yeah. And Vasquez, we should note that he is voiced by Patrick Warburton. Mm -hmm. People might know him from Seinfeld. He does Putty's voice. Right. I know he's done tons of voices. I've heard him. Yeah. He's so many different things. He's done the The tech tech maybe. Yeah. (laughs) So many things. And the character he's playing is a very like arrogant, like he flaunts his money. Mm -hmm. He always wearing a suit. Yeah. Very kind of scummy guy. (laughs) Right. High roller. Yeah. Sure. You could definitely dislike him, like, not even a, a couple of seconds into seeing him. Mm-hmm. So, Reese wants to get even. Yeah. He doesn't want to be a janitor. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, he's kind of mad. His friends are mad. So, what's his plan? Well, he's introduced to his allies. Okay. You've got an accountant named Vaughn, mm-hmm. who's kind of on his side, and acts very much like his sidekick throughout most of the game. And you've also got Yvette, who, as far as I can tell, is maybe a transportation coordinator of some kind. Mm-hmm. She is responsible for helping out in various ways. She's another person on the inside of the company. When Reese gets in trouble, she's someone who can help out potentially and does so early on by delivering another ally in the game who is the loader bot. Right. From the other games. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Loader bots. And loader bots play a, a big role in Borderlands two, uh-huh. but in this one, a very specific loader bot is voiced and becomes one of your allies. Mm-hmm. You can imagine things get out of control because this game is infused with that Borderlands style sense of humor that has a lot of over the top violence, but is mixed with a lot of witty tongue in cheek references and snappy dialogue. Mm-hmm. 
you know, he wants to get back at Vasquez. He hears Vasquez talking about this vault key. Mm-hmm. And this thing is worth $10 million. And there's going to be a deal that Vasquez is going on Pandora to make this deal for this key. Right. That's worth all this money. So Reese and his friend Vaughn mm-hmm. say, well, let's go to Pandora and intercept this deal. Right. We'll kind of screw him over. Yeah. So that's kind of what their plan was. It seemed kind of simple. They had a, you know, now we should also point out that Reese and Vaughn seem like sort of not street smart, maybe, <laughs> and a little bit innocent thinking or naive about mm-hmm. a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. When they go on Pandora, I don't think they initially planned on what kind of characters they were going to deal with on mm-hmm. this planet <laughs> and uh, what kind of environment it was. Right, because Borderlands in general has this vibe of kind of like a space western. Mm-hmm. It's very much a frontier planet, underdeveloped. It has that old west aesthetic to it, but in a futuristic cyberpunk kind of way. And so right away they're in a frontier town and there's a lot of unsavory characters around, eyeing them and noticing right away that they're not from around here, <laughs> yeah. out of place, immediately make themselves targets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Definitely, that's a factor in the way a lot of things go down. Mm-hmm. So on Pandora, it's basically a deal gone bad. Mm-hmm. There's some new characters introduced here. Uh, you have August and um, Sasha and Fiona. Mm-hmm. And they're the ones who are making the deal that they were supposed to meet up with Vasquez. They're considered con artists. Mm-hmm. So they're kind of dirty themselves. So you have this now circle of characters and the deal goes bad, things happen, things go wrong, as expected. Sure. And that's sort of how the story develops now. And this is kind of the whole point of this game now. People want the $10 million, people are getting double-crossed, and things happen. Things go wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we mentioned a vault key being involved. Yeah. And we should say that the vault in the lore of Borderlands is a cache of alien technology that everyone's trying to get. That's yeah, so that's I don't know if that's really explained. So you know that from playing Borderlands 1. Right. But I don't think it's explained in this game. In this game, they don't really go out of their way to define... What a vault is. What the importance of that is. Okay. At least not initially. It just feels assumed that mm-hmm. you just know what that is. Right. And that people want access to this vault. <laughs> right. So you know it's valuable. Mm-hmm. Like you said, a lot of the action sequences play out like quick time events. You're given an on-screen prompt in order to make a move to make certain things happen. But before that happens, there are some moments where you just have the freedom to walk around and look at things. You know, it's like a point and click adventure type. Mm -hmm. Third person view. Right. As another way to illustrate that Borderlands sense of humor, one of the things you can do, and Reese has this ability now, he's got this cybernetic eye. And that's one of his things that makes him different from the other characters around him. Mm. And I don't really know why he has this thing. But he has an artificial arm, and he also has an artificial eye. Yeah, yeah, I don't think they explain that ever. Maybe they... Hmm. Yeah, I don't remember them explaining that. Mm-hmm. Through the use of the eye, you can press the left shoulder button to mm-hmm. trigger going into what they call uh, echo eye mode. Mm-hmm. And you can scan certain objects that are highlighted in the scenery, and you'll get background text on different things. And a lot of those items, you have the ability to go up and look at it in normal mode, too, which gives you a different explanation of what that item does or what it's for. Yeah. And then you also have the option to use or interact those items, too. 
So did you find yourself scanning a lot when you had that freedom of mobility? I did, but I just to see, because they usually highlight the items that you can investigate. Right. So, uh, yeah, I, I made sure I try to look at as many items as possible. Mm-hmm. A lot of times you might have five or six highlighted points on the screen. Mm-hmm. You can look at them in any order you like, but some of those options might be to talk to a certain character. And I try to leave those for last because I don't want to trigger the next scene okay. without finishing scanning everything. That was the one complaint I had about that because you never knew what item was going to trigger the next scene and then you can't go back. And then, right. and then I'm always feeling like, well, did I miss something? Or, you know, I wanted to try to get as much of the dialogue as possible. Mm-hmm. I feel, though, that a lot of the Echo Eye analysis stuff Mm -hmm. was just there just as flavor. Like, it didn't really give you any important information that you absolutely needed to progress. No, it wasn't, yeah. I think it was just a way to just interact with the environment. I think the only thing that it gave you that it was of importance was the occasional cash that you would find. Mm -hmm. Like a loot box. Right. And you open it up and you, you can collect money in this game. And the money we'll talk about, I guess, in a bit. But Okay. Um, that's the only thing that I think that you ever really found in that third person mode. Right. Other than like humorous little observations that that he would say when he looked at things. Mm -hmm. Among the other characters that you're introduced to early on is this character called Shade. And he, I suppose, is supposed to look exactly like Hunter S. Thompson. He had that look with the safari hat and the long cigar. He's a character from the other games. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And this was the first time I've ever seen him. Yeah, it was kind of funny to see him. Um, and I don't want to give away the spoilers of his character in the other games, but he's kind of a funny character in, the, mm-hmm. in Borderlands 2 and pre-sequel. Okay. Small role. Very, very small. Uh-huh. During this first episode, too, since you're still pretty early in the game, I don't think it's too spoilery to mention that at a certain point, the perspective in the game shifts. And you don't play as just Reese. Right. So the whole game, yeah, you're not just playing as this character. It does change over from him. And then you also play from the viewpoint of Fiona. Right. Who's one of the quote-unquote con artists. Mm-hmm. That's her background. <laughs> right. And you don't find that out until about halfway through episode one. Uh, probably, right? Yeah. Because mm-hmm. a good part of it is told from Reese's point of view. Mm-hmm. Like you said, Fiona is a con artist. And she has a bit of a different personality than Reese does. Mm-hmm. Or at least the way... He comes off. So I have to ask, how do you play a game like this in this kind of situation where you're given a character that has a certain personality or a certain point of view? Do you project your own personality into it or do you role play a little bit? Do you say the things that you think this character would say or do you try to steer it? Because you are given that choice Uh in that you have that range of choices and the responses that are given to you of what you could potentially react or say in the conversation. So Reese is a little bit of a jerk sometimes. Do you you say the things that a jerk would say? (laughs) Or in Fiona's case, since she's a con artist, do you say something that would keep the con going or get to the result that you think she wants? Right. Or do you do the right thing, let's say? Do you put, do you have your own sense of morality that you bring to the character? Yeah, it's funny that you say that. And I almost... Uh, hard to even give you the true answer because I don't want to give away some of the later on storyline. Mm-hmm. But with Reese, I usually chose what I think that character would have said in that moment. Mm-hmm. And that would be maybe like an awkward response or... Um, maybe the, the right thing, because he seems kind of like the innocent good guy. But yeah. not, you know, I don't want to say always, but... 
I always feel like he's doing the right thing. With Fiona, I usually would have chosen maybe like something that I would have done personally, mm-hmm. or that someone in her situation, more of like an aggressive sort of answers from her. Mm-hmm. That's like more of like a tough character right. that I would choose. Mm-hmm. Okay. So there were definitely different responses, though, or different takes that I did mm-hmm. with both characters. Yeah. I went back and forth a little bit. Because you you said he's a little awkward. Mm -hmm. And I felt like maybe there are moments where he tries to assert himself a little more. Or he tries to say, like, I'm really still in charge, even though I don't look like I know what I'm doing. (laughs) I tried to mix it up a little bit. I didn't want to play it completely one way or the other. One thing we didn't note, actually, that the the way the game starts off is it actually starts off in the present tense. Mm Mm-hmm. Where you see this guy in a mask right. and a gun, and both Reese and Fiona are held hostage. Right. Or you see Fiona introduced when her right. part of the story That's true. starts. Yeah. Initially, it's just Reese being dragged on his back. Right. Mm-hmm. So, but within the five episodes, you're not told who this masked guy is. And the whole game is actually told in the past tense, where... Right. You know, he'll be pointing this gun at the two kidnapped people, and then he'll say, like, well, you know, let me hear your side of the story now. And that's when they flash back, and that's where Mm -hmm. your bulk of the story is actually in the past tense. Right. And then it flashes forward every so often. Mm Mm-hmm. That's true. So you're given this sense of where is this ultimately going to end up? Mm -hmm. What is going to be the point where the past catches up to the present? That's right. So you have that sense of anticipation of... Things are heading this way, and what leads to this event happening. How did you feel about that, the way that was done? Because that kind of reminded me of something like Pulp Fiction or, or that type of movie, you know, where you see the ending of the movie first, then the real movie starts, mm-hmm. and then you're at the beginning now, and you're always wondering, well, how do they get to that point where, right. you know, they're at that scene? Mm-hmm. It's certainly uh, an often used storytelling technique, and I think it's pretty effective in giving you that feeling of what's going to happen next and what might lead to this happening this way. I guess at a, on some level, you know that those characters remain safe until that yes, happens. that's what I thought. That's why I, it's funny <laughs> you say that, because that's, that's my whole thinking throughout the whole game. I, like, I know this character's never going to die, because... Mm-hmm you see them later on, you know, maybe they die after that, but right. you know, at least I know like to that point they will be alive. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think they're wearing different clothing too. It looks like Reese is a little better dressed during that time. That when is he's... true. I didn't make that connection, but that is true. Yeah. Yeah. Like when he's tied up, he looks like he's wearing like a suit. That's yeah. a little better. It's a, yeah, it's a nice looking suit than what he's wearing throughout most of the I, past I don't, tense. I think it wasn't until episode four or five until I put, put that together in my head where it's like, wait, they actually don't look the same as they do Mm -hmm. in the past storyline. Right. Now, another thing that does happen, because a lot of times you are given that chance to react to something very quickly during Mm -hmm. like one of those QTE type of uh, prompts, you might fail at what you're supposed to do and you get a game over condition. Oh, you do? That does happen. Okay, so I never experienced that. So you never did. No, I didn't know that was possible. Mm Mm-hmm. There are at least, through episodes one through four, I died at least once during really? <laughs> all okay. of those episodes. Huh. I, I, was, I, was, I was wondering going back just mm-hmm. to like see what happens if I don't like touch the controller or something. Yeah. There's a scene in the beginning where you face off against a psycho, mm-hmm. which is one of those creatures. Well, they're not really creatures. They're people, but they seem insane and they wear a mask and... That's what makes them They're psychos. They're on the cover of all the the, video, the the regular console games. Yeah, of all the Borderlands games, you see them frequently. You see the psycho mask. Mm-hmm. So 
you come face to face with one of those psychos. I think it was the first moment where I'm prompted to make an action. And I, I completely failed the timing on that. And that was the point where I was done in by that. And you're brought back and you get to do it over. So it's not actually game over completely. <laughs> but at least- I, I have to say it's pretty hard, though, to miss. Because there were times where I was I put my controller down and I had, like, a coffee. And I'm just sipping my coffee. Mm-hmm. And then I see the prompt pop up and I quickly, like grab the controller in my hand and i thought i pressed the wrong button or control stick or something but i did it right and Mm -hmm. i was like okay i guess that was pretty easy it's not like dragon's lair where you have to be you know exactly like within that millisecond yeah you do have some leeway you definitely have loose timing i think there is an option in the settings that is a more hardcore mode and i don't i didn't try that out okay i didn't see that all right so i don't know what that does i don't know if that gives you less time or if that even removes the prompts completely and you're just left to figure out what to do in that Mm -hmm. time like dragon's lair maybe there was another moment in episode two where you're prompted to do some kind of cyber hacking and you have a choice do you hack the gun or do you hack the car (laughs) in in that particular instant and there were at least eight or ten different points that I could interact with during that scene. And you could also scan them with the Echo Eye during that time also. But meanwhile, time is ticking down while you're doing all of that. And I took too long (laughs) to decide what I wanted to interact with, Uh and things didn't go well. Oh, wow. So that was another situation. So on a game over screen... Do you see the people die? You, or? you see what happens when oh, you, you didn't do it right. Oh, wow. And then and you have to the game over where the it slam into the screen. Oh, it does say that. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, and then it reloads from... The chapter point or something? Well, from some point right before that. So okay. it doesn't take you all the way back, but okay. it definitely gives you a chance to do it again. Huh. Mm-hmm. Interesting. <laughs> there was another moment where the story branched, and I was asked to make a choice about what my next destination was going to be, which town I wanted to go to next. You were given the choice to either go back to Hollow Point or go to Old Haven instead. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to do one, but I chose the other by mistake. Okay. So what happened? So I think the game worked around that, and I think it showed you what happened in both places anyway. Mm -hmm. But it was just a case where the characters didn't meet up at the same time. So maybe it didn't matter much in the end, mm-hmm. but it still was a moment where I chose the wrong thing other than what I wanted to, and I wish there was a way to go back to it. But I noticed when I went back to play the game again after taking a break, it gave me the chance to continue, but I noticed there was also a rewind option in the menu. Oh, really? Wow. I never used that feature during this game, mm-hmm. so I don't really know how that works, hmm. but apparently... Maybe you can go back to earlier checkpoints in the story and and maybe choose again. As long as you didn't complete the last checkpoint. Okay. I'm not really sure. I'm not sure either. But now that the game is done, I can maybe go back and see what that does or see if that's still available. I don't believe it's still available, but don't quote me on that. Okay. (laughs) Also, there was a scene where my knowledge of Borderlands and the weapon system was a factor. Mm. Because there's a chance that you have a gun... And it's loaded with elemental rounds. Yes. You're asked to decide which one you're going to use. Fire shock or corrosive? Right. Okay. Because my target was a person, Uh I chose corrosive in that situation. Oh, that's what I did too. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Fire is best on humans, though. It can be. Yeah, Yeah. that's true. And I know shock was kind of out because that's usually against machinery. 
Although or it, shields, yeah. It'll work against people, too. Like, all of these yeah. will, will do damage uh-huh. in different ways uh-huh. in the regular Borderlands games. But in this situation, I didn't know what was going to happen. It's funny, because I figured the fire was the right answer. But I was like, let me see what corrosive does to this guy's skin. Mm-hmm. It was a little harsh. Yeah. <laughs> I was hoping you did something different, because I wanted to know how it changed, like, later on in the story. Mm-hmm. Because it does have an effect. It does have an effect, yeah. Right. Uh, and that's one of the cool things about this game is that that character, you know, it's not really spoiling too much, but the character does not die in that scene. Mm-hmm. But when he appears later on, he still has the corrosive effects on his right. skin. Yeah. And I was wondering if you did fire, like, how that would have changed later on in the game, mm-hmm. how he looks. That would have been interesting to see, yeah. too. <laughs> In one of the other episodes, even once you've been playing for a while and you're comfortable with all the things that you get to do in the game, it does occasionally introduce some new mechanics or some new uh, ways of making a choice that are maybe unexpected or you haven't seen yet and you're not 100% sure what the right way to do it is. So there's a scene in episode three where Fiona has to get past some sentry bots, some automated machine gun turrets. Mm Mm-hmm. And I didn't do that part right the first time either. Oh, really? (laughs) So that was another point where I failed that check. It it does introduce a new character in this episode, which I'm going to try not to talk about too much because it is a pretty important story element. Mm -hmm. You're introduced to this, let's say, just this robot. I'm really surprised by the personality they gave this robot. Yeah. I think it was a very, very young voice. It's funny because it reminds me of, I don't know if I should give this away, but it reminds me of BB-8. Okay. So that's why I was wondering what you thought of it. But this was before that movie came out. Yeah, right. In other words, this game was made before Yeah, but I would almost say like, oh, they're copying, you know, BB-8 from Star Wars. Uh Uh-huh. To me, the impression that I got was closer to Short Circuit, probably, in the way... Yes, I saw that too. Uh Uh-huh. So it totally felt like Johnny Five to me Mm -hmm. in the sense that it was very naive and very happy all the time. Even the face that they gave it had had those two goggles. Right, like like Rob from NES. Uh Uh-huh, right. But in general, I just felt like it was a weird choice to project that character in that way. But again, it goes back to the Borderlands style and how it's just kind of goofy and silly in the face of all this extreme violence. Yeah, (laughs) it's the the style. Uh Mm -hmm. So did you like that character or did you find it annoying? I was trying to not make a judgment on it until the end of the game because I really didn't know where they were going with it Yeah. until I saw how it played out. I guess in retrospect, I don't think I was a huge fan of it, okay. but interesting. I like I don't just don't understand why it would take that form given what it was supposed to represent. Like I don't know why it would be built that way. Right. Yeah, <laughs> I agree with you. But at the same time, I felt like it was a little predictable whereas like the robots in the whole Borderlands series of games always seem to have this personality mm-hmm. uh, from, like, Claptrap and the other games and stuff. When they presented this character, and even Loaderbot, too, they all have, like, very similar personalities. I was like, it doesn't make sense, but this is kind of, like, what usually you see coming out of, mm-hmm. you know, the series. Right. So I wasn't, like, totally surprised. I, I was hoping they did something different, but mm-hmm. I see what you're saying. Sure. Yeah. So there's another point in this story, or at least during this episode, something happened to one of the major characters in the game, 
And it is one of those cases where I wonder if what I said affected how that went down. Mm-hmm. It was a pretty significant story point. And I guess seeing how it played out afterwards, it was meant to happen this way anyway. So I guess it wasn't completely the way Reese reacted in this situation that made it happen this uh, way. I think I know what you're talking about, and I felt the same exact way. Uh-huh. Definitely a spoiler, so we'll I'll talk about it after, maybe. Right. <laughs> so I'm curious what you chose. Yeah, okay. All right, we'll leave it at that, I <laughs> suppose. Uh, another thing that happens is that you begin to get romance options during this part of the game. Mm-hmm. To me, it felt a little creepy, <laughs> to be honest. Really? <laughs> because... I guess it's not too much of a spoiler to say that Sasha is the object of the romance option, who is Fiona's kid sister, or at least she's treated as her kid sister throughout the game. But meanwhile, she's she's an adult in her early 20s. I think she's 21 or something. Or 24? 20, oh, she's 24. Okay. That's what I'm guessing. Yeah. yeah. If, I, if I remember right, she yeah, does yeah, say she, it at one yeah, point. Yeah, she does. Okay, you're right. Mm-hmm. I, I just felt it was uh, out of place. Okay. I didn't get that, but... Mm-hmm. All right. Because she is the object of, of desire from two characters. Right. <laughs> At right. least. Well, sure. Maybe That's three, true. If, depending on, you know. Uh-huh. But I think in, in the case of the third character, every woman is <laughs> his object of desire. Sure. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> it seemed pretty natural to me, but okay. All right. All right. So I guess there is some room for interpretation there. Yeah. You mentioned being able to look around in free roam mode where you find the chance to pick up some cash and that's something that fiona gets but i don't think reese gets that choice he doesn't get the cash i don't think he has the ability to carry money okay when fiona's looking around she might find some money in different cash boxes i thought it was funny that they were called loot crates in the game like that's literally (laughs) the name that they use (laughs) i don't know if that carries over to the other games if they're actually called that specific phrase um I don't know, actually. I thought they were. Uh-huh. I thought that's where that term originated from. Okay. And then, you know, that company... Well, that company definitely uses it as their brand, yeah. so I don't think they have anything to do with Gearbox, so I don't know. Like loot that's... boxes, maybe they call them in the game? I don't remember. Mm-hmm. Well, in, in this game, they're definitely called Loot Crate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I thought was kind of funny, anyway. It is. In the following episode, episode four, Escape Plan Bravo. Mm-hmm. This is definitely the heist episode of this series. You get very Ocean's Eleven style music playing during the planning phase. Yeah. There's a whole little subplot about sneaking into Hans and Jack's office, recovering a certain important artifact that's there. Yeah. I don't know how much we want to say about this part, because we're starting to get late into the game and a lot of things that happen to lead up to this. Yeah, a lot happens in the last two chapters. Mm-hmm. There's some stuff happening back on Pandora, because this part is on the Helios station that you see early on in the game. You do have to interact again with some psychos in this part, which uh, I'm not usually squeamish. And and this part of the game didn't even give me that reaction either. But they do introduce a term, which I thought was kind of funny. They call it skin pizza. I don't remember that. You don't remember that, what that refers to? Oh. So there's a part in the game where you're told that psychos like to 
peel the face off of their yes, victims. Right. Uh-huh. And they wear yeah, them. I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> they wear them on their mask. Yeah. But they wear them over their psycho mask. <laughs> yeah, that was really gross. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically scalping, but taken to the next level. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to mention that, actually. That was the most disturbing part of the game. Uh-huh. <laughs> I thought that was very bizarre. Very bizarre. And that, as far as I remember, it was not in any of the previous games. Mm-hmm. I don't remember the Psycho's ever doing that, but maybe I'm forgetting something. Yeah, skin pizza, that's right. Yeah. Very savory term, uh-huh. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, I encountered another game over during this episode. Oh, really? When I was supposed to hit a rocket boost button, but I didn't do it properly. <laughs> and I saw what happens when... You fail to boost into orbit sufficiently. (laughs) There was a scene on Helios which also baffled me. I didn't didn't have any context for this. And I didn't understand what this was even supposed to be a callback to. But there's the accountant finger gun battle. Oh, yes. And that might be the weirdest thing in this whole game. I think, you know, I thought the same exact thing. And that scene went on for a long time. It really did. (laughs) This is almost like office humor. Yeah, that's where, supposed to be, yeah. Where people like kind of just like a kapow gesture at each other, and then they take it to the next level by reacting to that, mm-hmm. being shot by like an air pistol. Yeah. And yeah, it, it went on forever. <laughs> <laughs> and I wonder, is this like just an in-joke that happens around the Telltale offices? Yeah, that's what I was wondering too. I'm like, initially I just thought it was like a funny little joke. Because they showed it a couple of times in that office. Mm-hmm. But then when they did that huge scene of them doing it, yeah. I'm like, what is going on here? <laughs> like, this must be an inside joke or something. Right. There was even a moment during that battle where a character almost looked like he forgot to react the way he was supposed to. And then, yeah. he, and then he did it anyway, but like he did it late. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which, it just makes me wonder, like, what is the meaning of this? How yeah. does this fit into anything? I didn't get it. <laughs> I didn't get it either. Uh-huh. While you're on Helios, though, I did see a few other things that made me think of Star Wars. Because you mentioned Gordis, and Gordis is there. And that is the name of the robot, by the way. Mm-hmm. So, I thought it was strange that no one questioned the presence of this robot, which clearly did not look like anything else on this station. This is a Hyperion facility. This doesn't look like it belongs here. Mm-hmm. And no one really seemed to bat an eye to it. It was walking around and talking to people, and everyone just went along with it. Well, I guess we're never really let to be known how robots exist in this world, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, how are robots treated? Maybe they think robots are like um, workers, you know? Like, ro- worker bots, they have no personality or anything, so mm-hmm. they're harmless? Yeah. We don't, we don't know for sure. Right. Like, they're just drones, you know? Mm-hmm. So maybe they didn't see them as a threat, so they're just like, oh, this is like another worker or robot, who knows? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it could be. Maybe it's just my own perception of it. But the other things that made me think of Star Wars in this episode was the disabling of the power core on the station. Mm-hmm. And also the ejection of the escape pods. Yes, I felt the same way. Uh-huh. <laughs> Very strong Star Wars. So all of that, yeah. I feel, contributed to that. So another thing that we haven't mentioned up to this point is the music seems to play a strong part in the presentation style. And they definitely incorporate the style that at least Borderlands uses during their promotional videos and trailers. You don't actually get a lot of that during the game itself. But I think in just the intro scenes, to underscore the feeling that this is the new episode in a series of... Mm -hmm. Is that every episode gets like an opening sequence and an end credits as well. 
and there's always music to introduce it and take it out. How did the music come off to you in the game? I liked all the music, maybe the, with the exception of maybe like one or two tunes I felt like didn't really fit in. Mm-hmm. But I, I really liked how they incorporated all the music, especially, I really loved how when you would start an episode, the game would play as if you're just right in the game already. Yeah. And then at some point, and it would usually be like sometimes even 10, 15 minutes in, the music starts. And that's how you know, it's like, okay, I can put the controller down because now here's the, the credit sequence. Right. And it's usually stuff going on and then they have sort of the credits... To me, it was very artistically done, very nice. The title screens integrated into the movements of the screen. Yeah. I thought it was a really nice effect. Mm-hmm. The one song that stood out for me a lot, which I thought worked out really well, was in the end of episode two. Mm-hmm. Everything just seems to almost come to a head at this point. There's decisions you have to make, and people at gunpoint, and fights going on, and almost slowing down a little bit. Yeah. And as, like, everything's in slow motion, there's, like, a lot of stuff happening, and they have this, like, droney sort of uh, synthesizer rock music. Mm -hmm. And to me, it just fit the whole scene perfect. I was like, wow, this is, like, a great moment of this game. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, for the most part, it served it really well. I think the only exception for me was probably the opening theme for episode five. Okay. There's like kind of this R&B opening theme that I just didn't think fit the tone too well. Yeah, that might be the part I'm thinking of too. Uh-huh. So other than that, I thought it was pretty top-notch overall. In the final episode, I feel like events really took a strange turn because throughout the whole game, really, it feels like the whole push of the story is reaching the vault and finding out what finally happens. And it almost seems to happen as an afterthought. You know, it almost gets, like, resolved almost too quickly. Yes, it feels like they rushed it almost. But at the same time, they revisit it after that. Mm -hmm. So you're kind of given almost a false conclusion at the beginning of the episode. Yeah. But even on that, it sort of ends on a cliffhanger. Mm -hmm. Because it sort of never really gives you the real true ending it resolves like some storylines, but yeah. you never really find out at the end what the future holds for a lot of these characters. I think you get at least a resolution of where the characters want to end up mm-hmm. because they're, each of them have their own mission in the beginning, or at least the two main characters. You get resolutions for a lot of the characters, and I think most of them really. Yeah. But the two principal characters, Reese and Fiona, I think by the end they sort of reach the end of their short-term objectives. Yeah. I'd but say. I think they leave it open for like, okay, this could be a sequel. Well, you don't know. Yeah, you don't know what could happen next. They haven't announced anything yet, I don't think, but they might do a season two. Who knows? Yeah. They've done that for their other games. Oh, okay. Uh, Walking Dead, I think, is on their third story. Really? Wow. I think, yeah. Well, this is already three years old, so I don't uh-huh. know how long they would wait to do a season two. Depends. Yeah, they have to get... I guess Gearbox on board, too. By the end of this, though, you are given the options to team up with some of the other minor characters that you've met up with. And there was only one character that I feel like my choice actually prevented them from being an option to be an ally. Okay. And it was a strange decision that, to me, the decision that I made that prevented this character from wanting to team up with me, mm-hmm. I thought was it made the most sense. Like, it was the sensible... I know what you're talking about. I yeah. made the same choice. Mm-hmm. And I was also surprised at the end of the game to find out that that decision was going to affect this character. Right. To not want to, you know, join my team. Right. Especially because this character didn't seem that close 
Right, exactly. To the other... Well, that's where I think we're mistaken, because she's actually very close Mm -hmm. to that character. Okay. And I totally forgot about it, but if you played the other Borderlands games, Mm -hmm. I think she's in pre-sequel. Okay. How they're related, and why that was important. Mm Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I mean, we're being pretty vague about it, (laughs) but the decision was something that at a moment in the game where we're trying to be stealthy, we're asked to do something that would draw attention to us. And by refusing to do that, it turns this character off to us. Yeah. So that's why I thought it made sense that I would want to do that Mm -hmm. in that situation. But it is based on a emotional moment in the story. So. Let's leave it at that. (laughs) (laughs) And one of the options at the end also is the chance to team up with an ally if you have enough money Mm -hmm. (laughs) to pay them to be part of... Yeah, the secret ally. Right. The mystery character. Yeah. And I was told I didn't have enough money. Me neither. No. Right. So I I did look into... Did you look into this at all? Mm -mm. So it's very expensive. And I think the only way to get the money... And I, I don't want to give it away, but right. it's sort of like an Easter egg okay. to get to it. It involves you teaming with someone else, and that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> okay. Uh-huh. So if you don't have, if you're not able to team with this other person, then you can't team with this other unknown person. I see. Yeah, I think I was locked out from teaming with two people. Okay. Yeah, I, I must have made two bad choices. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Well, I ended up picking an ally at the end that was kind of a nemesis throughout most of the game, mm-hmm. or at least an adversary in some way. And it just seemed like it was probably just the most favorable of the choices that I was left with. Okay. I picked the one that I thought would be most helpful for what we had to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, right. I picked the three toughest characters. <laughs> mm-hmm. But meanwhile, one of them at least was someone that may or may not have been friendly. So Yeah, I agree. Same thing. I don't know who that was. <laughs> I probably picked the same one. <laughs> right. A bit more action at the end of the game than I originally expected to mm-hmm. happen because it was such a story-heavy game, and most of it is what I would consider an adventure game. But there was quite a bit of fast combo action that had to happen at the end to yep. pull off things. Did it remind you of anything? I would say it's more of like a fighting game combo system. Yeah, yeah. More than anything. I, I got like a... Um, like Voltron or something vibe to okay. it. Okay. All right. Yeah. The way it was presented. But just mechanically, you had to do like left, right, up, down, A, B, you know, at the set. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I don't know. Like I never had an issue with any of that. So mm-hmm. did you miss any of those? It didn't feel like it. Oh, okay. Well, at least it didn't fail. So I should say that episode five was the only one that I didn't get a game over on. <laughs> so ah, I so okay. so I did not fail any of the stuff that I had to do. Yes, okay, so you learned by episode five. By episode five, I was safe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Would you say overall the ending of the game was satisfying? Do you think it accomplished what it was out to do? Yeah, yeah. I was okay with the ending. It wasn't maybe my most ideal. Mm-hmm. ending I would have gone with, I think it's fine for what it was. I'm satisfied. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes, like, at the end of, like, Sopranos or something, you know, people were all upset. Yeah. Didn't really resolve anything. But I felt like you said it resolved a lot of the major storylines that it was going for. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, yeah, I'm okay with that. I, I don't know if I agree with, like, how some of the things turned out, but mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm okay with it. And definitely left enough questions where, you know, I'm hoping they follow up in either... Borderlands 3 or in season 2, if they do season 2. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be good. I don't see why they wouldn't, really. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I don't know how well this sold, so I don't know if this did well for them or it, it was pretty critically acclaimed for a Telltale game. Yeah, especially by a lot of people who maybe aren't into the Borderlands style of games. Right, they seem to really like the series. Mm-hmm. That should be good because it should be, but that doesn't always equal sales. <laughs> right, right. You bring up the comparison to Dragon's Lair earlier. Uh-huh. Do you think there could be a modern Dragon's Lair style game, but like it told in this format where you do have that element of where you could incorporate like the original Dragon's Lair gameplay style into this type of game, but then also have the opportunity to tell like a bigger story. Right. So I feel like this is the modern version of right. Dragon's Lair was cool for its time, but going back to it, that's not a fun game to play. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this takes all those elements of what they wanted to do back then, yeah. but they probably technically weren't able to do it. They didn't have the technology and this sort of does it the right way. And I feel like, if Don Bluth had access to this technology now, like, this is what Dragon's Lair would have been. Mm-hmm. Like, one of these type of games. I totally can see that. I mean, mm-hmm. to me, it feels like, yeah, this would be great. This, if all of these changes were incorporated into that game, yeah. it would be a game I would enjoy playing. Right. The other thing is that I feel like, being a fan of Borderlands, too, like, I feel like this game brings a lot more weight to the Borderlands setting than even the Borderlands games themselves do. Yeah. I think it brings it to life in a way that the regular games don't. Mm-hmm. And it's a funny thing, too, because you would think the opposite would be true. Because in an FPS, where you have full control to do anything you want and go anywhere you want, that should have been more immersive. But somehow, this very directed presentation of the setting, to me, it gives them like center stage and it allows them to tell a story more effectively than if the player was in control 100% of the time. Mm-hmm. Because I think, like, the FPS, you go into an area and there's content there, but once you play out that content, it feels empty and it feels, like, unused. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Almost like a theme park where you can wander around to different parts and you can do different things, but once you've already gone on the ride, it doesn't seem as special. <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? Whereas this game, you're taken from scene to scene... It always seems fresh and new. Because mm-hmm. I always felt like, well, wow, FPS games are always the most immersive to me because I feel like I'm there. I'm, I'm in that place. And yeah, I can do like anything you want. Yeah, you're first person and yeah, right. you're looking through the eyes of the character. Mm-hmm. So it was a bit surprising to me to feel that way. Yeah. Having played this. Well, I guess it also comes down to the writing, too, where you have probably different writers working on this. Mm-hmm. And that's almost one of my complaints, even though I really like this game, to find something critical about it. Right. I initially did not like this game when I put it on because the writing is very different. Even though it still captures like some of the flavor, yeah, it's almost immediately you, you, I noticed it that this is an R-rated game, but it doesn't have a lot of the humor that Borderlands Two. Like this is definitely toned down. Hmm. You know, a lot less cursing, a lot less lowbrow like type humor. Right. In the beginning, I was a little disappointed. I was like, "Well, this this doesn't feel like a Borderlands game to me. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like it's missing a lot of those." elements that's in the the regular game right but add a little bit they you know trickles in here and there through some of the episodes but even overall i still feel like this definitely feels like there's different writers working on this Mm -hmm. like to me it's very noticeable okay but not in a bad way like i think it's it's very well done it's very well well written and i think it had to be done this way to stretch out you know over a (laughs) 10-hour series well i mean you said initially you didn't take to it i didn't no I, i the first like Almost like the first maybe 15, 20 minutes, mm-hmm. I didn't like 
what was going on. I was mm-hmm. very disappointed, but right. it grew yeah. on me. So you played episode one some time ago, and then you came back to it to finish out the rest of the game. Yeah. A lot of times, the Telltale games, episode one is free, right? So you could freely download it, try the game out, and then decide if you want to buy the rest of it. Mm-hmm. And that's usually done, I think, when the game's been out for a while, or maybe when it's completed. I don't really know when they decide to kick that in. But when episode one first comes out, it's not free, I don't think. I don't think so. Right. I mean, you do have to buy it initially. And usually it's like, I think, 10 or 15, something around there. That much? Or maybe it's five. (laughs) I don't remember. Yeah. It's some uh, small amount. And then you can buy the season pass to buy in to all the episodes, or you can continue to buy them individually. Mm Mm-hmm. So, you had played episode one, uh, probably because it was free, and you had access to it. Yeah. But despite your reaction to it, of not really taking to it right away, and not really liking it, you still went back and bought the rest of the game and wanted to play the rest of it. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad I, I said played through the whole episode. Yeah. Because by the end of episode one, I said to myself, like, wow, this is actually really good. Like, I really liked where the mm-hmm. story went. And I, I want to know now what happens in episode two. Like, I couldn't wait to play episode right. two. But I, there's a lot of time invested in this, and I just didn't have the time to mm-hmm. go back to it. The nice thing is, when you start an episode, it gives you a recap of the prior episode. Yeah. So even though it was like a year apart that I played episode one and two, mm-hmm. it gave me enough information where I was like, oh, okay, I, I think I remember what happened now. Mm-hmm. You're always asking me about a Borderlands movie. Like, when are they going to do a movie yes. based on Borderlands? So this is not quite that, but... It still gives you a little flavor of maybe what mm-hmm. a Borderlands series on it scratches like a Netflix the itch a little bit, yeah, might be like. And, and that's one of the things. Like, even though I like this format, I wish there was a way where I could just not have to do any of the decision making and just watch it. I just want to watch it. I just want to enjoy it. Like, uh-huh. I think it's a great story. I love the characters. I love the art style. I love everything about it. There were times where I put the controller down because I just wanted to relax and just watch what's mm-hmm. going on. And then it's like, oh, another prompt. I had to, like, <laughs> pick the controller up. Like, I just want to I just want to see what's going on. Well, like, I, I wish it was a randomization mode where it just picked things I, for me. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess you could default to just the no response option <laughs> for a lot of the conversations. I, I didn't even think about that. But there are also the parts where you say you have to choose the yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I found it a very kind of relaxing game to play, actually, because there were... Long stretches of just story exposition, and then with some brief moments of input. I thought it was pretty low impact in terms of just actual gameplay, Mm -hmm. which I liked, which is fine. I mean, it's a different type of game. But it is a game that's almost like an animated series. I mean, because the Borderlands art style has that graphic novel style to it. It's like an animated series with the art of, like, comics. So, I mean, I like all that stuff. I like animation. I like comics. <laughs> I like Borderlands. So, this all around was a win package for me. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, yeah, I thought, you know, it was just a way to just kind of relax and immerse yourself in this universe for a while. It was definitely rewarding in that way. Mm-hmm. I asked you before, like, did you play them a certain way based on their personalities? But since you are playing as two different characters... Did you find yourself sympathizing with one more than the other? Because they weren't necessarily on the same side throughout the whole story. Yeah. So did you find yourself rooting for one more than the other? Did you want one person to win out over the other? I was rooting for Fiona's character. (laughs) Okay. I guess because she's kind of like a tough gal. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she's sort of that's her upbringing. Right. Especially when they go into some of the background of her and her sister and stuff. And I, I wanted to see, like, 
her succeed and stay alive and, you know, what her future comes out to. Whereas Reese, I don't know if they really go too far back into what his, like we said, they don't discuss like what happened to his arm and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, why he has that eye and stuff. And, you know, I was a little less interested in him and he seems like kind of the corporate nerd stooge kind of guy. And, you right. know, he seems like maybe he's a little power hungry at the same time. And it's kind of like, eh, you know, this guy, I can give or take this guy, even mm-hmm. though I like this character, but okay, uh, I kind of couldn't really get attached to him as much. Uh-huh. Yeah, and I guess a lot of the stuff that happens in the game, too, is based on his... Mm, I wouldn't say it was just his bad decisions, but, I mean, you know, he was predestined to do some of that stuff. But a lot of the way that things went down kind of were because of his actions. Yeah. <laughs> I guess, in the end, though, I probably felt more for Loderbot than anyone. Uh, Loderbot. <laughs> his reactions were always the most honest. Yeah. You know? So... I felt like he was saying exactly what I would be thinking in that situation a lot of times. Mm -hmm. But definitely he was more of a character than I thought he was going to be. Same. I did not expect him to be such a recurring character. (laughs) Right. Right. Was there anything I left out? Anything that you wanted to touch on before we wrap this up? Well, we didn't really mention, for people who might be interested, some of the voice actors of this game. Oh, yeah, yeah. Troy Baker. Troy Baker, who's like... In, like, half the games out there, probably. Exactly. He's an established... There's a lot of established voice actors. I guess that's my point. So that's... As another point, like, it's really high quality throughout the game, I think. Yeah. Uh, Chris Hardwick from Nerdist. (laughs) Right. And other things. He plays Vaughn. Yeah. And I was a little surprised to notice that when I I saw his name up there. I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess that is him. Yeah. Uh, like I also, I already mentioned Patrick Warburton, mm-hmm. Nolan North, who's also done video game work, anime. Also in everything. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he did a uh, character named August. Mm-hmm. Uh, Laura Bailey, who did Fiona. Uh, she's done, I think, some anime. Oh, that's actually something. where I knew her name first. Uh, okay. I actually didn't know her until I looked her up. I'm not big on uh, English dubbed anime. I like anime, but I like in its original form <laughs> for the most part. And a lot of conventions I would go to that had some anime track or component to it, a lot of times Laura Bailey might be a guest at that convention. Mm. I used to see huge crowds showing up for them. And I'm like, wow, I guess uh, these people are well known to people who watch anime on TV and usually it might be in a dub format. I did recognize the name when Hmm. I saw her. So she's bigger than I thought. I guess so, yeah. A nice thing to see was they brought back voices for characters from the regular video games. Mm -hmm. For any recurring characters, they're using the same voice actors, which is nice. Mm Mm-hmm. I did recognize some of those. Uh, Did I leave any names out? Those are the big names that I knew. Now, I played the game on PS4. What did you... I had the same. PS4, right? Yeah. So I had picked it up, I think, on a deal on the PSN store. It was probably $6 for the full game, Mm -hmm. season pass and everything. So that was what made me finally pick it up. I think I did the same. I bought it on a sale, like five bucks or something. It's also out on PC, on Mac... PS3, PS4, obviously, Xbox 360, yeah. Xbox One, <laughs> yeah, and it's also out on iOS and Android, too. Yeah, so it's on everything. I thought this is a perfect kind of game for a mobile platform, because there's very minimal input, and the input that is done can easily be tapped out on the screen. It's not based on dexterity or accuracy of controller input or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So I was curious about that, and I downloaded the free episode one that's available on the Apple App Store. So I threw that on the iPhone just to try it out, and I played like the first 10, 15 minutes of the game that way. Seemed fine to me. Looks looks the same, right? It pretty much looks the same. Mm-hmm. So I don't really see a reason 
to n- not play this if you, especially if you want a good story based game for your phone or tablet. I think it's kind of cheap too on the Android and iOS platforms. Mm-hmm. Maybe like you know ninety nine cents a chapter or two ninety nine a chapter or something. Right, it's not too bad. Definitely, you can download the free episode one for most of the Telltale games yeah. and get like a good two hours out of it's it. A two hour game, yeah, sure. And see if you like it. And yeah, and see if it's the kind of game that you like to play. So I would say that's an ideal way to check out any of their games. Mm-hmm. This game originally, episode one, was released in, as you said, 2014, November. Each of the five episodes, or the following four episodes, I should say, because it's five episodes total, came out about two or three months apart. In some cases, there was like a four-month gap between mm. some of the episodes. But pretty much episode five came out by October of 2015, so almost a year later. Okay, it took for the whole game to come out. Interesting, because that's when uh, pre sequel was probably coming out around a little before that. I think it was uh, probably in the beginning of the year, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So just it, all interesting in a way that those, you know, those are all kind of connected. All those stories, yeah, so. they're overlapping a little okay. bit. And there was a retail release for the full game that went out when the series actually ended. By April of 2016, there were boxed retail versions if you wanted the game all in one place on a single disc. And that disc, I I checked the pricing on that. You can get that for like $10 now. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a pretty good value. It's pretty cheap, yeah. If you want a 10 to 15 hour game, depending on how you play. (laughs) Yeah, well, what is it, about two hours an episode? Did you? I think I stretched out some of those because I would take a break. Because you could pause it at any time. Yeah, you can. You're not forced to sit and watch it if you need to break away for something else. Mm-hmm. So it probably took me closer to three hours to get through each episode just because I was not playing it consistently. Uh-huh. I did play on my TV on the PS4. Yeah. So my only disappointment in playing it that way was there was no surround audio that I could detect coming from so my speakers. So you have a 5.1 <laughs> Right. Okay. Yeah. That's a little disappointing. I wonder why they didn't spend that much attention to... I don't know if it Stuff was like that. anything to do with the settings. I don't know if there was a way to maybe switch it manually that way. But mm. any other game I play on the PS4, it automatically uses it. So I didn't think mm. to Weird. need to tweak it manually. But mm. That could be something that maybe they fix in the next season if they do one. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that's a regular I mean, thing of theirs. For something like that, I would think you know audio is important. Mm-hmm. I have like a simple you know, 2.1 setup. So right. I didn't notice it, but I have a question for you. What did you think of the use of the new use station mm. without going into too much detail? Uh-huh. Did you think it was cool? Uh, in what sense? Let me, so the new use station is, uh, in the, in the video games and it's used the same way in this, but, yeah. uh, you can go in there to change your character's outfit. Right. Like the Jetsons where, oh, yeah. you know, you press a button and it just kind of changes your outfit for you. Uh-huh. That might even be a Logan's run reference too. That was a clinic in the movie where uh-huh. it was called New You. Uh-huh. And, you, and you can go in and get like laser surgery and it can <laughs> yeah. change your appearance. And in this game, it's your outfit and your appearance, too. Uh-huh. Is that something that you would ever want? <laughs> if oh, in real life? Like that? Uh, that would be fun. Where you can have it scan a person and then you can like just press a button and then you look like that person. Right, know? right. And wear their clothes, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought it was cool how they incorporated that. It's just funny to me how casual that technology is in <laughs> yeah. this game. Like, it's just a vending machine that you can go up to, right. <laughs> give it some input, and it can spit out a result for you. Yeah, yeah it's kind of funny. That's part of the sense of humor. Mm-hmm. 
if you were in charge of Telltale, can you think of any property that you would use to make their next game? Like, you know, another comic or... They've a done a lot. They've, yeah, they've done a bunch, right? They've done a lot. I mean, their current game that they just launched was Guardians of the Galaxy, which there's a new movie coming this summer, so this is a good way to lead up to it. And there's an animated series on TV right now, so uh-huh. that's a hot property. They always seem to be involved. They've done DC Comics properties in the past did a Batman game, and they did uh, some stuff based Back on some Vertigo Future. games. Yeah. Back to the Future Jurassic was one of their Park. earlier games. Uh-huh. Yeah, so they've done a lot. What, what I really want to see from them? Hmm. I don't know. I don't know if I have a wish list. I would, it, yeah. You've got a suggestion? I, I would personally, I would like to see them team up with Platinum mm-hmm. and do a Transformers, using like the graphic style of, yeah. of that Transformers game that right. they released. And just plug it into this type of, like, writing and um, more like just watching and, you know. I could see that. I think that would be great. I thought that was one of some of the good parts of that Transformers game that Platinum did. So, yeah, something expanded along those lines would be good. Yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing a lot of stuff. I mean, probably Mm -hmm. even going back to, like, classic cartoons. Do, like, a Hanna-Barbera series. Why not? Well, what about a Dragon's Lair? Definitely be the case. You would like to see that? Uh, Dragon's Lair and Space Ace. Oh, it's got to be both. I want to see both. What if it was a crossover? Uh, that wouldn't make sense. Nah. That wouldn't work. No. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Maybe. I mean, maybe people want that. I don't know. I want to see a Borderlands, like, Netflix show or something now. Mm-hmm. Now that I've gotten a taste of it. Yeah. I kind of enjoy it. But there is a new Borderlands game coming, so I'm uh, hoping that allegedly. feeds my need. Uh, no, he already announced it. Well, I know, but... He just didn't say one. They keep acting like they're not working on it. Yeah, well, that's a kind of ongoing joke. Right, right. right. <laughs> that's true. All right, so a thumbs up from you, I assume? Oh, definitely. Two, yeah. thumb, two thumbs up. Okay, same, yeah. same for me. So definitely check it out, I'd say. Uh-huh. All right, so should we move on? Sure. Some pickups that I've got. All right. <laughs> well, I just have one, really. What'd you pick up this week? Uh, another parcel arrived. Another parcel, okay. An, inter- an international dispatch. Mm-hmm. International, okay. Right. So is this from Poland? From Plasia. Asia, okay. Or Plasia, as I like to say. Plasia. I like to run those words together. This is the arrival of Blue Rider for PlayStation 4. This is a game that was being offered exclusively through Playasia. They started to get into the self-publishing wow, I didn't know or that. limited run type of publishing operation. Mm-hmm. This seems to be the hip thing to do these days. It does, right? Uh-huh. And this is a limited edition of a game, they say limited to 2,500 units. This is a shoot 'em up style game. It's a pretty simple overhead shooter. You have like 360 degree freedom of firing. You can rotate your ship's view and things like that. Kind of a cartoonish art style to it. Comes with a soundtrack CD at least and some other stuff. Mm-hmm. It was uh, $29.99. So. Okay, yeah, it looks all right. I figured it was worth checking out. Yeah. Just as another opportunity to get a game that might not be available down the road. Now, I take it that this is region free? Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah, because this is uh, an Asian company, uh, it's actually East Asia Soft is the mm. uh, developer that made this game. This is multi language, it comes with options for Korean, Chinese, or Japanese, as well as English. The funny thing about this game was that. I remember when this was going to go up for pre-order. 
they did it in a weird way. It wasn't just like it went live on their store one day and everybody had to scramble to get it. They gave an opportunity for you to sign up for the ability to order this game before it went live. So they wanted people to almost pre-register in some way okay. in order to be able to buy it. So I did that. Mm-hmm. And then they announced the date that it was going to go on sale. So if you had already signed up for the registration to be able to buy it, then you would be able to order it on that date. And then once those were done or after a period of days, then they would open it up to everyone else. So I figured, okay, great. I'll get a chance to get it. Sounds smart. Maybe that improves my odds of being able to get this one. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, the day that they announced it was when we were on our way to PAX. (laughs) Oh, was that? That was the game? That was the game. I remember that. (laughs) And I was annoyed because I'm like, oh, great. This is going to go live when I'm not home. What a weird time to choose. That was like on a 7 o'clock at night or something, right? It was like 10 o'clock at night. It was 10? 10 o'clock at night on a Thursday? So I was thinking we like we pulled off the, on the highway to the, the <laughs> shoulder. So I thought the game was going to go live. So I've, I actually pulled over on the side of the road so I can attempt to put an order in on my phone mm-hmm. while this thing was live. And of course, it didn't go well. Something was going on on their store and orders were glitching and it wasn't working right. And I ended up putting an order in, but somehow they only charged me for shipping Mm. on the order and they didn't charge for the actual cost of the game they ended up closing orders right after that because there was something going wrong Uh and they didn't want to you know mess things up by continuing to have people trying to order and not being able to so i was left kind of in limbo i'm like uh well i don't know my order went through but i wasn't billed for the full amount and now that now they closed it and you can't order it anymore and i don't know what's going on oh boy uh, Another botched limited edition. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. I ended up resolving it afterwards. I just ended up. Well, that's good. Why can't these companies figure this stuff out? Maybe I should start a company to handle all these limited edition pre-order. You would think e-commerce is a well-established thing by now. <laughs> exactly. I think Sega is the only one who knows how to do it right because they did that Sonic Mania limited edition thing, and they did it the smart way. It's like up for pre-order. You can buy it anytime you want. Mm -hmm. And when it's ready, you know, they'll ship it out to everybody. They'll make enough to cover all the pre-orders. Yeah. Despite being limited to 2,500 pieces for this game, Blue Rider, it's still available. So if you want... Oh, so it's not that limited. So yeah, having, despite having gone on sale two months ago, it's still up for grabs if you're Mm -hmm. interested in getting a unique, exclusive physical game for your PS4. Nice. There you go. Cool. (laughs) So I guess with that, we'll wrap things up, wrap it up to go. Okay. 